Good morning, everyone. Happy to see you today. Um, what can I tell you? It's been another good week. Um, one special thing that happened this week that I, I keep telling everyone because I, I, was, I was really excited about it. Uh, this week, three um, Haitian individuals, three people from Haiti, came knocking on the door here at Prairie Street Mennonite Church because they know this church for two reasons. They know that this is a place where they can take English classes and where this is a place where they can register for their city-sponsored ID cards, which give them access to lots of other things. So when they, when they came in, I said, hello, and they looked at me like, <laughs> and I said, hola, and they looked at me like, getting closer, but not quite yet. And I thought, okay, well, I don't know what else to say. Bonjour, and they go, oh, yeah, that one. <laughs> and I was like, okay, after that word, you, you lost me. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> but they're going to come back for their IDs, which are on the, the, the last Saturday of every month. There's an ID event in the fellowship hall here, um, and people in our community can come and, and get identification for our city. So I, I was really happy about that, and, and also a testimony to our congregation here that we are a place that people trust enough to come knock on the door for that. So praise God. And we trust that God is with us. And so we light this candle to remember that the God of peace joins us today in our worship. Pray with me. God of peace, God of welcome, God of surprises, we invite you to surprise us today in the way that you always do. We're surprised by your challenge and then by your grace, by your demands, and then by what you offer. We're drawn to you because we know that we can expect from you something good, even if we don't know exactly what that good thing will be. And so we gather here today expecting you and what you offer. Amen. We're going to sing hymn 499 and voices together, 499 in the morning when I rise. Four ninety nine is very close, 536, we're gonna switch those. So 536, I heard the voice of Jesus say, 536. And those who are able, please stand.
I invite you to say the words, we are covered in grace, when I indicate that to you, so we can practice that. We are covered in grace. We are gathered here, despite the struggles of the world, by the grace of God. We choose to protect each other amidst a world of risks. Here, masks are optional for the vaccinated and required for the unvaccinated. If we are masked or not, we are thankful to gather, we the vaccinated, the children, the immunocompromised, and the hesitant. But we are mindful of sisters and brothers around the globe who cannot gather due to this raging pandemic. So we say with them, These days we are ever more aware of the forces of illness, evil, and destruction. We confess that we are small. But by the God we worship today. Amen. We continue singing. I'll let Kyle announce this one. <laughs> Now 499, 499, in the morning when I rise.
And now please turn to 591. 591. When I can't find my way. We're going to sing through this for you all the way through one time. And then please join us on verse 1 after we go through the whole page. It's a little harder than it looks. Just it flows. Listen, you'll get it. What I meant to say was, it looks harder than it is. There we go. <laughs> it looks harder than it is. It's not hard. Thank you. To be honest, you do make it look easy. <laughs> I know it's harder than it looks, but you make it look very easy, and I appreciate you a lot, so thank you. Makai is passing out um, something that we we're going to use during our sermon, and while he does that, we're going to pay attention to how our young people are a blessing to our community. Um, Makai is always helping out. Um, and while he does that, we are going to extend our hands to him. And maybe to the other young people you have in your hearts, you, you might extend your hands to them and offer them this blessing. May the God who made you grow in you and around you. May Jesus who walks with you show you his ways of peace and justice. And may the Holy Spirit empower you to do exactly what you are called to do. Amen. And our scripture reading today will be given by Amber. 
Today I'll be reading Job 23, 1-9, and then 16-17. I still rebel and complain against God. I cannot keep from groaning. How I wish I knew where to find him and knew how to go where he is. I would state my case before him and pre present all the arguments in my favor. I want to know what he would say and how he would answer me. Would God use all his strength against me? No, he would listen as I spoke. I am honest, I could reason with God. He would declare me innocent once and for all. I have searched in the east, but God is not there. I have not found him when I searched in the west. God has been at work in the north and the south, but still I have not seen him. Yet God knows every step I take. If he tests me, he will find me pure. I follow faithfully the road he chooses and never wander to either side. Oh, I kept going, sorry. Almighty God has destroyed my courage. It is God, not the dark, that makes me afraid, even though the darkness has made me blind. Our preacher today is Sunitha. Let us pray for her. God, may we hear your word through this sermon. Draw us in. Amen. sharing our scripture, but also speaking her truth with us this morning. I'm always blessed to have people question. Um, I think that is the God that we serve, and so I am thankful for her this morning and having a chance to spend some time with her this morning. I am I'm a little Spirit, please settle in my spirit. Guide my tongue. Chasten my heart. Give me strength. Hide Sunita behind the cross so that these, your children, hear what you have for them today. Lord, we pray we leave this place just a little bit different from the way we came, knowing ourselves and you just a little bit better. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Today we hear in Scripture a complaint from Job as he argues with his friends. Everything has been taken from Job. He is in pain physically, mentally, and emotionally but most of all spiritually. But he cannot understand God and God's silence in his time of need. Last week, Pastor Quinn gave us one of those messages that uh, we often wrestle with, question. And this week, our message will also likely not bring you peace. It will disturb your spirit and cause you to search deeply within if you're lucky. How do we cope with God in silence? How do we endure the suffering? I will be sharing a story with, about suicide today, and I hope for those that, that might throw you off, I pray for peace and comfort for you with the hope that this message doesn't trigger you too much. I want you all to know that Job is upset for two reasons. One, he hasn't done anything wrong. <laughs> so for many of us who get in trouble for doing something and we know we haven't done anything wrong, that's reason to be upset, right? He didn't do anything wrong and Job is upset about that. 
Job is also upset because God is causing his pain and he will not and he will not do anything about it. The God that Job knows has to understand what is going on. And yet he will not do anything about it. Job is rightly fussing because his friends do not fully grasp the position, his position, or have chosen to ignore his complaint by telling him clearly he has sinned and caused this great personal devastation. And Job is clear that he has not sinned, and so he is upset because they can't fully see. The church, our society, our communities have all been guilty of wasting our energy and our words on finding fault in one another then using our assessment of that fault to judge the other. Even though this infuriates Job, he still doesn't measure, it still doesn't measure up to his complaint with God. Do we have a right to challenge God? Job would answer the question, yes. We all have faced darkness. And if you have not yet faced darkness, live long enough, I guarantee you, you will. Living in darkness is a scary and lonely and often confusing place. We find these spaces of darkness in issues like divorce, death of a loved one, war, abductions, poverty, wealth. Prison, homelessness, darkness can be found all around us. Darkness is only made more hurtful when we are in these spaces and we know we are innocent and shouldn't be in these spaces. What happens when you have done nothing wrong and yet you are being punished somehow? A child born with a debilitating disease. A person hung because someone else's hate. A person who has lost, I mean, a person who has lost all their money because the government has sent the nation into economic ruin. You have done nothing wrong, yet you suffer the consequences. I want you to listen to this story of a young man called Khalif Brower. He was 16 years old when he was accused one day of stealing a backpack. He was arrested and put into jail. His parents and his family could not afford his bail, so he spent three years awaiting trial, which never came. Khalif Browder, 1993 to 2015, by Jennifer Gorman in the New York Times, I meant in the New Yorker. Last fall, I wrote about a young man named Khalif Browder who spent three years on Rikers Island without being convicted of a crime. He had been arrested in the spring of 2010 at age 16 for a robbery he insisted he had not committed. Then he spent more than a thousand days on Rikers awaiting a trial that never happened. During that time, he endured about two years of solitary confinement, where he attempted to end his life several times. Once in February 2012, he ripped his bed sheets into strips, tied them together to create a noose, and tried to hang himself from a light fixture in, the, in his cell. In November 2013, six months after he left Rikers, Broder attempted suicide again. This time, he tried to hang himself at home from a banister, and he was taken to a psychiatric ward at St. Barnabas Hospital, not far from his home in the Bronx. When I met him in the spring of 2014, he appeared to be more stable. Then, last year, about two months after my story about him appeared, he stopped going to classes at Bronx Community College. During the week of Christmas, 
He was confined to a, to a psych ward in Harlem Hospital. One day after his release, he was hospitalized again, this time back at St. Barnabas. When I visited him there was there on January 9th, he did not seem like himself. He was gaunt, restless, and deeply paranoid. He had recently thrown out a brand new television, he explained, because it was watching him. After two weeks at St. Barnabas, Broder was released and sent back home. The next day, his lawyer, Paul D. Batista, called from the, got a call from the officials at Bronx Community College. An anonymous donor, who had likely read the New Yorker story, had offered to pay his tuition for the semester. This happy news prompted Broder to re-enroll. For the next few months, he seemed to thrive. He rode his bike back and forth to school every day. He no longer got panic attacks sitting in his classroom, and he earned better grades than he had the prior semester. Ever since I met him, Broder had been telling me stories about having been abused by officers and inmates at Rikers. The stories were disturbing, but I did not fully appreciate what he had explained until last April when I obtained surveillance footage of an officer assailing him and of a large group of inmates pummeling and kicking him. I sat next to Khalif when he watched these videos for the first time. Afterwards, we discussed whether or not they should be published on the New Yorker's website. I told him it was his decision. He said, put them online. He was driven by the same motive that led him to talk to me for the first time a year earlier. He wanted the public to know that he had what he had gone through so that nobody else would have to endure the same ordeal. His willingness to tell his story publicly and his ability to recount it with great insight ultimately helped persuade Mayor Bill, Bill de Blasio to try to reform the city's court system and end this sort of excessive delays that kept him in jail for so long. Broader story also caught the attention of Rand Paul, who began talking about it on the campaign trail. Jay-Z met with Broder after watching the video. Rosie O'Donnell invited him on The View last year and recently had him over for dinner. Broder could be a very private person and he, and he told almost nobody about meeting O'Donnell or Jay-Z. However, in, this, in a picture taken with him and Jay-Z, who had draped an arm over his shoulder, Broder looked euphoric. Last Monday, Patricia, who had filed a lawsuit on Broder's behalf against the city, noticed that Broder had put a couple of odd posts on Facebook. When Patricia sent him a text message asking what was going on, Broder insisted he was okay. Are you sure everything is cool? Patricia wrote. Broder replied, yeah, I'm all right. Thanks, man. The two spoke on Wednesday, and Broder seemed fine. On Saturday afternoon, Patricia got a call from Broder's mother. He had committed suicide. The next night, Patricia and I visited the family in the home in the Bronx. Fifteen relatives, aunts, uncles, and cousins sat crammed together in the front room of his parents and with, with his parents and siblings. The mood was alternately depressed, anger, and confused. Two empty bottles of Broder's antipsychotic drugs were on the table. Was it possible he had taken the drugs? Was it possible that taking the drugs had caused him to commit suicide? Or could, it have could he have stopped taking it and become suicidal as a result? His relatives recounted the stories he told them about being starved and beaten by guards on Rikers. They spoke about his paranoia and how he often suspected that the cops and other authorities figured, other authority figures were after him. His mother explained the night before he told her, Mom, I can't take it anymore. Khalif, 
You have to, you got a lot of people in your corner, she told him. One cousin recounted that Broder first got, when Broder first got home from jail, he would walk to his GED prep classes every day, almost an hour each way. Another cousin remembers seeing him sitting at the kitchen each morning with his schoolwork spread out before him. His parents showed me his bedroom on the second floor. Next to his bed was his MacBook, Rosie O'Donnell had given him, a bicycle stood by the closet. There were two holes near the door where he had, where he had made with his fist some months earlier. Yellow mustard sheets covered the bed and at the side of the room, atop a jumble of clothes, there were two mustard yellow strips that he had eventually torn from the bed sheets. As his father explained, he had apparently decided to that these torn strips of sheets were not strong enough. That afternoon, at about 12.15 p.m., he went into another bedroom, pulled out an air condition, pushed himself through a hole in the wall feet first with the cord wrapped around his neck. His mother was the only person at home at the time. After she heard a loud thumping noise, she went upstairs to investigate but could not figure out what had happened. It wasn't until she went outside to the backyard and looked up and she realized her youngest child had hung himself. That evening in a room packed with family and friends, Patricia said, this case is bigger than Michael Brown. In that case, in which a police officer shot Brown, an unarmed teenager in Ferguson, Missouri, Patricia recalled that there were conflicting stories about what happened. And the incident took, and the incident took, he said, one moment in time. In the case of Khalif Broder, he said, when you go over the three years he spent in jail and all the horrific details he endured, it's unbelievable that it could happen to a teenager in New York City. He didn't get tortured in some prison camp in another country. It was right here. Where, I need you to tell me, where was God? Job and Khalif are correct in their assessment but they are unaware of why God has chosen to leave them alone. God is big enough to handle our complaints. Go boldly before the Lord. Hebrews 4 and 16 says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Job complaints about what was going on in his life were real and he had every right to question. Khalif's constant concern in making people aware of his life, he had every right to complain and demand justice. Job and Khalif went boldly before God, neither heard an answer but they stood firm in their truth. Our Savior suffered a similar pain. Jesus was innocent like Khalif and Job. Jesus suffered under a weight, the weight of others. The Hebrew leaders, the Romans, the people. Job from calamities and his family and his friends. Khalif from false accusations and unjust and corrupt judicial systems, poverty. We can all pinpoint the people and systems that have brought us down. People, events, illnesses that have cast us into darkness, calling us to ask why and where are you, God? Scripture tells us that Jesus remained faithful to God until the very end. 
Scripture tells us that Job complains and questions God, but never loses faith in God. We don't know if Khalif had or kept his faith in God, but my heart breaks for his life, and my soul believes that the God we serve did answer his cries. What do we believe is happening when God is silent? Is it punishment, or is God working on something much bigger? What does it mean for us to get upset, yet remain faithful to our love and trust in God? My job is not to give you answers, but invite you to insert, to search for the answers within. I do not believe there are, there's one right or wrong answer. I believe God has created this massive universe and gave us power to protect and cultivate. Unlike Khalif, Job, and Jesus, we are not all innocent of our charges. My prayer for us is to withstand the silence and the suffering as long as we can and when our strength is gone, hold on as tight as you can and trust that God is coming. Amen? Please have, um, please use these bookmarks as a way to not only remember Khalif, but also a call for all of us to work at changing a very unjust system. That much we can do. Amen. May God bless you all. We'll sing 284. 284. Lo, I am with you. And we'll sing verses 1, 2, 4, 6, and then back to 1. 1, 2, 4, 6, 1 on the verses.
kind of just neat that when you were reading that piece from the New Yorker, I was sitting here saying, when is this going to be over? That's the last word. Still going. That's the last word. It's still going. Um, it's uncomfortable. So um, before we begin passing the mic, I just want to take a second to check in. If you want to close your eyes, and if you are like me and something came up inside you, let's, uh, let's just give it a little breath. In trauma studies, we, we learn that sometimes this stuff inside of us gets lodged in parts of our bodies, so it might help to tap your wrists or to tap your mind's eye. For me, I, I keep it right here in my chest, so you can use two fingers right here. And just give it a little life. There's a, a modality in, in therapy that says that our emotions come out of our beliefs. And so at times when we, when we hear these hard, truths, they, they challenge our beliefs, and it provokes a, a feeling or an emotion. If, if some of us in here believe that the criminal justice system in the United States is, is one that we can trust, that will ensure that we have justice, that will treat us fairly, it might cause a reaction if that belief is challenged. If, if we hear a true story that says, actually, sometimes that's not true, you might feel angry. I was feeling angry. Pastor Smitha, you didn't need to preach that. I was mad at you today. <laughs> because I have this belief that I should be able to call the police or go in front of a judge and that justice will be served. And the story says that that's not true. And, and it's a true story. And so I feel angry. I'm going to pass this around, and I, I want to invite you to respond to the sermon. Or you might have a, a prayer request that you would like to share with your community that we can lift up together. So give me a hand, and I'll bring you the microphone. I'm going to ask Micaiah to help us collect the offering, um, and while we do that, we will sing. 127, 127, bless the Lord my soul. We'll sing in English, then we will sing in Spanish from there on out. Start one time in English, and then from then on in Spanish.
few announcements before our final song. Um, just to reiterate what Janice already told us, uh, the Company of Women is meeting this week on Tuesday at 6.30 in the Fellowship Hall. This is open to all women at Prairie Street. I hope you will attend. Um, does anyone else have another announcement? Then we will sing our final song. 311, 311. We are often tossed and driven, and those who are able, please stand. our Lord and the sweet communion of his Holy Spirit rest rule and abide with you from this day forward. And all the saved souls said, Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Amen.